Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Boy, do we have a treat for you today. We are doing a special edition podcast on virtual reality ultrasound education, and I have two exceptional guests. First, let me introduce to you Sean Sethi. Sean has been working with Ultrasound Gel behind the scenes, helping us find high-quality articles for the websites for several years. He finished his fellowship at Emory and is now faculty there doing some great ultrasound stuff. And in addition to Sean, we also also have from across the sea, Sue Ann Pasco, who is from ZDU, which is a fantastic educational ultrasound course and just a wonderful organization that I've interacted with several times. So she is a sonographer, has a graduate certificate in clinical teaching and fellow of AIUM. So thank you both for being here. And it's wonderful to have you on the show. Now, I also would like to give a quick shout out to the Trust course, the Train the Ultrasound Trainer course that ZDU puts on. It's a fantastic way to get better at teaching ultrasound. So check that out on their website. We'll mention that or it'll be in the show notes at the end. But let's get on to the main event because we are very excited to discuss how virtual reality can interact with the ultrasound educational world. And as usual, we have some research studies that we can use as a diving board for this topic. So we're going to discuss a couple of articles and then just go back and forth. What do we think about these articles and how does it apply to the future of teaching ultrasound? Sean is going to walk us through most of this. So Sean, what are we talking about? What actually is VR in ultrasound? Yeah, Mike. So we're going to be talking about a couple articles today, but let's chat about a few basics before we actually get into that. So I'm sure we've all heard the term virtual reality by now and seen uh, commercials on TV or ads for virtual reality headsets by various companies out there. So essentially VR, which we'll refer to from now on as just VR, basically refers to uh, this immersive uh, 3D experience in some sort of a virtual world and allows you to interact with that world, whether that's with movement of your hands or actually walking around and allows you to get that virtual experience. There are headsets that you can use that essentially completely go over your field of vision so that you can completely experience that virtual world. Yeah, those are so fun. And I don't know if our listeners have all tried them, but they just look like big goggles that go on your face and you are now looking through a screen. But Within that screen, it also is taking an input from your actual surroundings so it can, you know, put some objects where they are in real life and hopefully uh, preserve your safety in the process. Exactly. So let's uh, jump into these articles and we can get into a discussion afterwards. So this first article we're talking about, and these will be in the show notes for you all to reference, is this randomized control trial, which is a non-inferiority study out of the University of Southern Denmark. That's very recent, just in the last few months was published. And what they did was, they recruited uh, just over 100 students. These students were randomized into two groups. So the first group was a traditional instructor-led course. So in person with the machine, again, things that we're all used to, things that we've all done when it comes to teaching students and residents. And so this other group was this virtual reality group, put on a headset and entered this virtual reality world. There was actually a 3D recording of the instructor kind of doing the same lesson that they were doing with the in-person group, but in the virtual reality world. And the students could interact and they could use the machine using the inputs in the VR and could go through the educational objectives that they were intending to in the VR world. Now, let me just clarify so I could 
make sure we all have a correct visual of this. So in the VR experience, the students are coming in, putting on this headset, and then like in this simulated room, they can see their hands, they can see an ultrasound probe, which I think they used one of the handheld controllers for the VR system. And so they have this probe in their hand and they can manipulate it in space, up and down, all around doing all their probe motions. And that will just show up in this room and then they can like use a machine and practice with knobology, manipulating an image as well, all in this virtual space. Does that sound right? Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. So in this study specifically, they were using these Oculus headsets and uh, you do get two controllers that come with this essentially two pieces that you hold in your hand and as you move those you can move your virtual hands in the virtual reality space and so yes you're able to pick things up by pressing certain buttons on there and interact with anything in the virtual space and so they were able to use the transducers and able to press buttons on a uh, three-dimensional machine that was in the VR space. So what did they find? Well the goal was to do an ultrasound OSCE afterwards to determine how well these students retain their knowledge. And they determined that virtual reality was not inferior to the traditional instructor-led session. They did note a couple limitations with this study, one being the cost. And also, there was a financial conflict of interest as one of the authors is the CEO of this simulation software that they used for the VR headset. That's always good to know. And thankfully, they disclosed that. That's something that we're going to see in another article as well, because actually, all three of the articles we're going to talk about today are from the same group in Denmark. They seem to be the leaders in publishing on this, at least in the ultrasound education world. But that's that's a great summary, Sean. So essentially, in this non-inferiority study, VR was non-inferior to an actual in-person trainer teaching them. I would love to hear your just off-the-bat thoughts, Sue Ann, as somebody that does lots and lots of in-person training. How does this strike you? Wow. When I read this article, there were so many red flags, if you like, for me as an educator. One of the first things that really struck me was, I guess the aim of the study was to test basic skills. And I think that the purpose here is trying to get people's spatial awareness skills developing. So it's important to note that the study was performed on a phantom and the phantom was essentially a square block that had olives in it. So I think one of the big problems here in sort of summarizing that the VR training was not inferior to the in-person training is assuming that you can transfer the skills from scanning a rectangular a block with some olives in it and assuming that that will transfer to a human and allow you to deal with the complexities of scanning on a real life human. Now the problem with ultrasound and the reason why it's so difficult is because every time we scan someone we could scan an aorta for example. First of all we have people of different shapes and sizes. Some people's aorta runs quite straight up and down, some have a tortuous aorta. Some people's branches happen in a classical textbook fashion, others are plumbed a little differently. Every time the patient breathes, that position of the aorta and the position of the gas that obstructs us from seeing the aorta is going to change. If you scan the same person in the morning or the afternoon, you'll get very different images. And I'm just not sure how a rectangular block with olives in it teaches us to deal with those variables. It also takes out, for me, VR also takes out that really important factor when we're doing an ultrasound scan 
and that's the communication that we have with the patient. You know, the olives don't respond, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's really, really important that that's, that's an essential part of the exam. And whether it's VR or any of the simulation systems, I don't think any of them really address this problem that we have, that is being able to adapt your technique for those different variables. I guess from the point of view that they are learning the spatial awareness, figuring out what a scan plane is in long and trans, I think that's helpful, but it only goes so far. I think the best that this can do is prepare our learners for future learning. I don't think it's translatable to the real life situation. The other thing that I noted in this study was there was a discussion about the cost. And I think the reason and the motivation behind doing virtual reality is to be able to bring ultrasound training to the masses. It's a huge problem in ultrasound that we just don't have enough instructors with good skills that can teach our learners. And many people have tried to figure out how to, you know, sell it to the millions, so to speak, or to upscale with minimal things. So inevitably, you've got the cost of purchasing the headsets. I think that in reality, at our institution, for us to even try this, you know, it's quite a big investment to even see if it might work. And with that money, I can do training on real people that I know work. And so in this study, it was interesting to note that they'd factored in the cost of the purchase of the headsets and the ongoing software licensing and stuff. But the whole cost of the machines was attributed to the in-person model. And I just find that funny because even if you're teaching VR, at the end of it, the goal is that you're going to scan a real person. So you still need an ultrasound machine at the end of your VR teaching. So I'm not understanding why the, the cost of the ultrasound machines was attributed wholly and solely to the in-person training versus the VR model. So that it siphoned off the cost just for the glasses and stuff, but the ultrasound machines were on the other side, which really does inflate it because it looks like they're using two machines at about $40,000 each. That's a really good point, Sue. And, and just so everyone understands, they were trying to make the case in this article that VR is a lot cheaper, even though you have to buy these headsets to do it. And the way they did that was they're like, all right, it's gonna, they, they calculated it out. They looked at all everything from like paying all the trainers to the models, to the equipment, to the space. And they're like, well, for VR, we needed about 6,000 euros. And then it's like, and for the instructor led course, we needed 100,000 euros. And that was shocking to me when I read it. I was like, 100,000, where did that come from? And it's because they accounted for buying two ultrasound machines, which as Sue Ann is rightfully saying, most of the people are going to have a machine if you're teaching ultrasound and that should be as much a cost for the virtual as for the in-person. It's it's very unlikely you're going to purchase two full machines just for the sake of training. Although I get it, you know, that is an expenditure that's going to have to come at some point. The other cost that I don't think was accurately reflected in this was the time involved in preparing the VR lesson. It's presented as the VR lesson comes fait accompli. And inevitably, there's a lot of time getting to know the equipment and to preparing the lesson so that it works for a VR environment or AR environment and recording it for that environment. So I don't know that that's accurately reflected either. And, and there's a lot of hours that go into the preparation of material, no matter which way you deliver it. Really good point. Now, Sean, 
I didn't say this at the onset, but I know that you have a special interest in all sorts of cutting edge technology and ultrasound, including how to use AI, how to use VR, AR. So I would love to hear your take. And we don't mean this to be a contentious pro-con debate, but do you see any benefits that this article is trying to present to us? Sure. So I totally agree with what Suan's saying and the point that, you know, we're not going to just buy some VR goggles or VR headsets and not have an ultrasound machine around and expect our students and residents to become good at ultrasound just with that. But where I do see some benefits here are a couple things. One is that as the costs of these inevitably get less and less over time, that can open up some possibilities in the future. Also with examples of distance learning where you're maybe having a course, but you're teaching at virtually at multiple institutions or even overseas internationally. Now we're getting into possibilities where we can teach people virtually and not have to require phantoms or machines and things like that. And so that's where I can see this coming in. But I agree the upfront costs can be quite high. And for now, it may be limited to you know institutions with a lot of money or institutions that are interested in kind of piloting these things to see how they work. But I envision as we move forward, you know, getting this into not just emergency medicine, but other specialties, other fields, non-physicians. I mean, lots of specialties use ultrasound, as we know, and lots of specialties use ultrasound, as we know, and lots of specialties do procedures and various things that they can't always practice on a real patient or even a phantom. And so integrating this in, I think, could be helpful in the future. But I think we're very early on right now. This is very early preliminary data. The cost is high. So we're going to have to see where this goes in the future. Yeah. And that's a great transition because we're going to briefly touch on a couple more articles, which I think are a little more clinical in terms of doing some procedures or looking at some actual pathology. Before we get to that, I just, I have to just say a little something about the methodology. I promised myself I wouldn't dive into it too deep. Remember for non-inferiority trials, they set a threshold of what it needs to be in order to count as non-inferior. And in this case, they chose 10% higher. And the in-person training was actually better in almost all of the things they measured, but it wasn't 10% better. Where did they get that 10% number? We don't know. So keep that in mind. The in-person training did show some possibility of being slightly superior, but it just didn't meet that threshold for the sake of this study. That's all I'll say. Sean, what are these other studies? Yeah, so two more, uh, again, from University of Southern Denmark. We'll just very briefly go through these two. Both are pilot studies. Both use smaller amount of students. These are around 20 medical students each. The first one involving e-learning versus virtual reality. So e-learning, something that we're all familiar with now due to the pandemic and various reasons why we're teaching uh, distance learning these days. And they compared e-learning to virtual reality for just basic ultrasound education and again, rated with the ultrasound OSCE, this, the OSAUS tool. And the virtual reality group in this case scored higher. And over 90% of that virtual reality group actually wanted more VR training and was interested in learning about VR more after that study concluded. And then the third study, again, a small pilot study with 19 medical students, but this time, like Mike, you were saying, with some specific procedural skills that they were going for, which in this case was ultrasound IV. So all the students watched a basic introductory video with some basics and how to place an IV. So one group was the in-person group, so they were doing IVs on a phantom, and the other in this virtual reality group. And it's kind of interesting, they actually, in order to kind of anchor the students and the physical space in the virtual 
virtual reality group, they had a physical table that was placed in front of them so they could like stabilize themselves and their and their hands and these controllers. So they weren't just kind of poking in space with nothing to kind of anchor on, if you will. And the virtual reality group had a higher success rate with IV placement in the virtual reality space and a lower number of unnecessary surface punctures, according to this study. So just to summarize all three of these articles, because they each are a little bit different. In the first article, they made the claim that virtual reality is non-inferior to in-person training based on an ultrasound OSCE afterwards. The second, much smaller trial of about 20 students said that VR had a higher OSCE score compared to e-learning, and that was a little more clinical instead of just the ultrasound basics. And then the third study, VR plus e-learning had better success at peripheral IV training than e-learning alone. So they're all a little bit different, all seem to be in favor of adding VR to education. So I would love to hear more thoughts on this from, from either of you. What are we going to do with this evidence? I think in the third article, one of the things I noted, they had some uh, photos of the setup. I think any anything that you do from a spatial perspective is in addition to just e-learning alone is going to help. But as I'm looking at the images that they've portrayed in this article, the way they're holding the probe and the needle is not reproducing how you would necessarily do it on a real patient. And so again, I ask the question, I look at these quite skeptically, are we just doing this for the sake of playing with technology or is there actually is there actually benefit for the learners? And are we are we wasting our time going down this rabbit warren with virtual technology? Or should we be focusing our efforts on becoming better teachers so that we can accelerate the process? I think the goal in any of this is to try to get learners learning ultrasound faster. I'm not convinced yet that VR is the tool for that. And I personally think that if we spent as much time and effort enhancing our skills as teachers and understanding how to structure and sequence teaching better, it would probably be more beneficial than some of these because at the moment they feel a little gimmicky for a lot of money. Suan, I'm glad you said that because I personally am very susceptible to this cool factor bias. I know when I've tried some products like these in the past, you just get like mesmerized. You're like, this is so cool. You're like looking at your hands in front of you, looking at the ultrasound thing. And it's so fun that you think like, this has got to be useful for something. But that's why we study it. You know, that's why educational research like this is important to actually prove it. We know that the students seem to enjoy it based on one of the studies that they wanted more virtual reality training. But I like your point. Is this actually helping them? Is it an efficient way? to teach them? Does that lead to long-lasting impact in their learning or doing ultrasound excellently? I don't know yet. The other comment that I'd make is my learners here are often consultants. I can't think of the word that you use in America, attendings, that's right. So they're a much older, well, not much older, but they are an older learning group. And so for us using this, first, we have to teach them how to play with the technology. And that in itself is a hurdle because what we find is just bringing in an ultrasound machine can often be enough technology to challenge some people. Now that might be different for the younger cohort because they've grown up on computers, they've grown up with technology. You know, I know my kids, you know, are born with an iPad in their hand and they're very eager to show me how to do everything on the computer. So the the younger generation is probably much more tech savvy and maybe the hurdle isn't quite as much, but to apply this across everyone, certainly 
only in that older cohort. First, you have to learn the technology before you, so that you can play with it before you can derive the benefit that is supposedly transferable to a real patient. And I just think it adds an extra hurdle to the whole process. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Suania. We don't want to be adding barriers to learning. You know, we want to make it easier so more people can do this. One of the things you mentioned, which I completely agree with, is that when we talk about doing, for example, procedures and we say, well, we can use a phantom or some kind of other material, to, for example, to place a peripheral IV, we get a little concerned that the fidelity isn't as high as obviously doing an IV on a, on a person. And so are we now even further away from that by doing it in a virtual space where we don't have this tactile feedback, the specific motor skills where I'm maybe anchoring my pinky on the patient's hand while I'm putting the IV in, which is going to be very difficult to do in a virtual space, even if you have a table in front of you and things like that. So that's definitely a concern for me. But playing devil's advocate to that a little bit is that when you have a scenario where you might have a very high ratio of students to faculty, for example, you may have great teachers and they may have great curricula, but they're maybe not able to actually teach the students. There's not enough access to these great teachers. For example, in preclinical years where students are learning more ultrasound before they're even getting into their rotations, I think this would be a great way to, one, introduce ultrasound as a concept to them if they don't have a teacher around or an ultrasound machine around, and just also spark an interest in procedures and using this VR technology in general, as my perspective is that I think in the future, this is going to be used more and more for specialties in general especially with students coming up, they're likely going to be more interested and more familiar with the technology is my guess. So that might be a better cohort to move forward with. And I think we we can be open-minded because it's really unlikely that this is going to be an all or nothing. I don't think any of us believes at this time that VR is going to take the place of in-person instruction. But I could maybe conceive like pre-course learning. Say you have an Oculus headset lying around your house. Course designers are like, here's a VR module if you want to prepare yourself for this course coming up in a week. That might be a cool thing that people could start to implement. Maybe if once you take away the barrier of the cost, if these become cheaper and more ubiquitous, then maybe that would be more popular for for courses or for, you know, pre-lecture learning. I think that just reinforces the point that I made before is that I think these will be great to prepare learners for future learning. I think it could be a great tool to sort of start that process of understanding spatial orientation, because I think that that is the biggest hurdle when people are learning ultrasound is kind of figuring out where things are in space. And if I cut it this way or in long or in short axis, whatever, how does that change the image? So I think the utility of these is in that space, but I, I don't know that they will transfer. So preparing learners for future learning, I think is, is great. And if that accelerates the process, then, then it's good. Yeah, I think we've had a great discussion so far. And as we can see, this is a pretty new and emerging technology and there's not a lot of data yet, not as much as we'd like so far to really support its use. But I think we're going to see more and more of this technology being implemented into the medical field, into medical education in the future, almost whether we like it or not. So I think we should at least understand that it's out there. And when it comes to our field, we should at least be able to use it in a way that can benefit our learners the most. And I totally agree, almost like a flipped classroom model 
if they could use this technology, the students and residents, to learn about the echo they're going to do or the fast they're going to do, that might be a nice supplement instead of just having maybe like a PowerPoint that shows what a fast is and what the positive exam looks like. To summarize, we went through three articles on virtual reality. They all seem to be in favor of virtual reality. And of course, the conflict of interest noted earlier aside, they do look promising, providing some benefit to learners. So I think the future is looking out for more of this educational research and seeing how specifically it can be implemented or integrated into training and courses. Thanks to our wonderful guests today, both Sean for putting together this episode and Sue Ann for making herself available to record her excellent opinions and ideas through this with her experience. So this was a lot of fun. Definitely, we will have more on these articles on the show notes. If you want a little more details or links to the actual articles to read yourself, that will be online. You can find that stuff at ultrasoundgel.org. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. More, 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 more,